Chapter Four of Esther Reed Yet Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed Yet Speaking by Pansy. Chapter Four. I don't blame them. It was not a pet name. Poor Mart Colson would not have known what to do with a pet name. Her life had not taught her how to use such phrases. How she came to be named Martha, she did not know but a hollow-eyed, sad-voiced woman could have told her of a country home long ago, where there were daffodils blowing in the early spring almost under the snow, where, later, the earth was turned into sky, or the stars came down and gleamed all over her father's fields, so plentiful were the dandelions. And the breath of the clover came in at all the open windows, and the cows, her father's cows, coming home from pasture, and the tinkle of their bells were sights and sounds familiar to her ear. She sat there one summer evening in the back door, watching the glory and the peace, and studying between times her Sabbath lesson. Often and often the words came back to her in future years. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That was one of the verses. Was it a dim memory of the words and a sort of blind reaching out after their fulfillment that led her to name her poor little two-days-old baby Martha? The old home had vanished, the sweet-scented meadows, the tinkling bells, the peace and the plenty, were as utterly things of the past as though they had not been. Mother and father and one brother were gone, lying in grass-grown, neglected graves. And she, why the two-days-old baby's father was drunk, and had been for three weeks. A hard, hateful-sounding word, coarse almost. Why don't I say intoxicated? Oh, because I can't. I have no desire to find smooth-sounding words with which to cover the sin of that baby's father. But the mother named her Martha. She never told her why, if indeed she herself fully knew. It was not a family name. Gradually, after the fashion of the times, she sought to shorten the name, and because they had not sweet short words as pet and dear and sweet, all such belonged to happy homes, they grew to calling her Mart and now even she herself hardly realized that she had ever owned to any other call. Poor Mart! I find myself wanting to use the adjective over and over again when I speak of her. Such a desolate, loveless life. Always a drunken father, she had never known any other. Always a sharp-toned, weary-eyed, disheartened mother, who shut her tenderness for the child within herself, as one who could not afford to show it. Then Dirk, the one brother, going astray almost as soon as he was born. What wonder from such a home? Yet Mart wondered and felt bitter over it. Why could not Dirk be like some others of whom she knew? Like Sally Calkin's brother, for instance, who worked day and night and brought home often and often an apple, or a herring, or sometimes even a picture paper for Sally. Mart was sharp-tongued. All her life had taught her to be so. She spoke sharp words out of the bitterness of her heart at Dirk, and of late rarely anything but sharp words. Yet, and this was Mart's secret, hidden away as if it were something of which to be ashamed, she loved Dirk, loved him fiercely, with all the pent-up wealth of her young heart, and often, because she loved him, she was harsh and bitter towards him, though she did not herself understand why this should be. As for Dirk, he walked rapidly but for a few blocks. His dinner had been too insufficient to give him strength, after the first aimless anger had subsided. Then came the question of what to do with himself. Why hadn't he gone with the fellows? More than likely some of them had contrived a way to get a dinner. 
why had he persisted in sullenly leaving them all and going home? He had not the least idea why he had been impelled to go home. Now that he was fairly away from home again, he had no idea what to do with himself. A place where he could warm his feet and his hands, where he could get a bite to eat, possibly, this last would be an immense attraction, but was not a necessity, and he did not expect it. But warmth, at least, he felt he must have. Where would he find it? What place had been provided for such as he? He ought by this time to have been earning his own living, to have had a corner which he could call home, earned by himself, where some of the decencies of life were gathered. Of course he ought, but the painful fact to meet just now was that he had not done his duty. He had gone astray, not so far but that there were plenty of chances to go farther, greater deeps to which he might yet reach, yet far enough to all but break any watchful mother's heart, only that his mother's heart was broken before he was born. The simple question waiting to be solved was this. Having done as poorly for himself as under the circumstances he well could, what was Dirk Colson to do next? He had no idea, neither, apparently, had multitudes of Christian people engaged in praying that the Father's will might be done on earth, even as it was in heaven. The young man walked six blocks down the respectable avenue, lined with pleasant homes, where the people went to church and read their Bibles, and had family prayers, and kept holy the Sabbath day. Not a door among them all opened and held out a winning signal to arrest his heedless feet. Not so Satan. Is he ever caught idling at his post? Just around the corner from the respectable avenue, and around the corner Dirk presently turned, still uncertain what to do, where to find the warmth he craved, then the winning invitations for such as he began to present themselves. Saloons and saloons and saloons. How many of them were there? Far outnumbering the churches. Pleasant they looked, too, opening doors ever and anon, revealing brightness and warmth within. They would like to see him inside. Of this Dirk was sure. Not that he had money, but he had something that in such places often served him well, a decided and dangerous talent for imitating any and every peculiarity of voice or manner that chanced to come under his notice. He could make the fellows in these saloons roar with laughter. If he did particularly well, they were willing to order him a glass of beer or a fairly good cigar. In any case, he had a chance to get warm. This was actually Dirk's only present source of income. Yet he shrank from it, he could not have told you why, but on this particular Sabbath he was averse to earning his coveted warmth in this way. He walked resolutely by two or three places where he had reason to think he might be welcomed, wondering vaguely whether there wasn't something else a fellow could do to keep himself from freezing. Oddly enough, there seemed to be something about the glimmer of sunshine, as he saw it in Mart's hair, that kept him from halting before any of the places open to him. What if she had come out with him to take a walk? he could not have taken her into one of them. Then, poor fellow, he set himself to wondering where the place was, open and warmed, to which he could take Mart. There were places, several of them, in a large city, but Dirk knew nothing about them, and he was acquainted with the saloons. He thought of another thing. He had been invited to call at a house on East 55th Street. Suppose he should walk up there this very afternoon and ring the bell, and say that he had come to call. What would happen then? whereupon he laughed aloud. The fancy seemed to him so utterly preposterous. The idea of his making a call. 
the utter improbability of his ever seeing the inside of one of the East 55th Street mansions. Still remained that hopeless question, what should he do with himself? The sun was quite gone now, and a cold wind was blowing up freshly from the north. It blew directly through Dirk's threadbare garments. He turned suddenly and slipped inside one of the worst of the many saloons which literally lined this side of the street. He had refused to go with the boys to Polk's an hour or two before, and this was several grades below Polk's in decency, but it was growing dark and he was cold. There was one young man who saw him dash down those cellar stairs, who stood still and looked at him, his face darkening the while with discouragement. This, then, was all the afternoon Sabbath school had accomplished for him. To be sure, he was not disappointed at the result, it was no more than he expected, but it was so discouraging to be an eye-witness to the degradation to which these young wretches had fallen. Of course the young man was Alfred Reed, and he went home and was dreary over all sorts of failures in Christian work, mission Sabbath schools especially, and their own more especially than any other. Among the early shoppers on Monday morning came Mrs. Evan Roberts. Shopping, however, seemed to be a small part of her business. She came directly to young Reed's counter, and addressed him very much as though she had ceased talking with him but a moment before. Mr. Reed, what can you and I do for those boys during the week? but Alfred was at his gloomiest. "'I don't see that we can do anything for them at any time,' he said dismally. "'What is an hour on Sunday set against all the rest of the time? They go from the schoolroom to the rum saloons and dawdle away the rest of the day. Yesterday I met that young Colson going into one of the worst saloons on Day Street. They are not to blame, either,' this last in a fiercer tone, after a slight pause. "'I don't blame them.' They have nowhere else to go and nothing to do, and it is cold on the streets and warm in the saloons. If he expected the small lady, who was regarding him so steadily, to take the other side of the question, he was disappointed. She spoke quietly enough, but with the earnestness of conviction. Those are startling facts. I do not see how one could be surprised that the results are as they are, and the practical question forces itself upon us, what are we to do under the circumstances? Mr. Reed, you have had your eyes open in regard to the subject for some time. What have you thought out? Now was Mr. Alfred Reed embarrassed. It was true that his eyes had been long open to the subject. It was true that he had given it a great deal of what he had called thought. But with those alert eyes fixed on his face, her whole manner indicating intense earnestness, he suddenly realized that all his thought had been to no purpose, had accomplished nothing, unless it had served to give him a feeling almost of irritation against the boys, and their teachers who made failures, and the people who folded their hands and let things go to ruin. Here confronted him one, whose hands were not folded, though they rested quietly enough on the counter before him. He began to feel that there might be latent power in them. "'I have nothing to say,' and he said it at last with flushed face and embarrassed voice. "'I have thought out nothing.' The whole thing seemed hopeless to me with my utter lack of resources. My sister had schemes, many of them, and they seemed to me good ones, even then. They seem better now, only I cannot carry them out. She caught at the name. Your sister, Esther Reed? Good, let us carry them out, you and I, and as many more as we can get to help us. She is at work yet, don't you see? What is that prophecy about her? That voice which the prophet heard, you know, and I heard a voice saying unto me, 
Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. How strangely the words sounded, repeated in her low, clear voice, amid the hum of business on every side. Alfred Reed felt singularly moved. He had been a highly strung, imaginative child. He had been his sister Esther's almost constant companion during those last months in which she was slowly fading out of sight. While Julia held steadily to her mother's side and learned to do many helpful things, he had been stationed chief nurse in Esther's room to see that she lacked for no tender care during the hours when others must be away from her. And those hours she had tenderly improved. He remembered to this day just how she looked, with a pink flush all over her cheeks, and a bright light in her eyes, as she talked to him of the things that she and Dr. Douglas had meant to do for boys, neglected, homeless, friendless boys. Oh, the plans they had carefully thought out, to reach after these forsaken ones. He remembered that his own cheeks had grown hot while he listened, and the blood had seemed to race like fire through his veins when she said, God wants me for something else, Alfred, but you will do my work when you get to be a man. You will find helpers, and carry it on as I wanted to do. He had made no audible answer, but he had told himself sturdily again and again that he certainly would. Yet here he was, barely of age, and almost soured by disappointments. Certain well-meant attempts having proved failures, and having not found the helpers whom he had eagerly expected, the magnitude of the work impressed itself upon him more remorselessly each hour. Yet now he seemed to feel again the thrill in his veins, and he felt almost under the power of his sister's eye while those words were in his ears, they rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Might it possibly be that this was one of the helpers of whom Esther used to talk, sent by God himself to take up her planned work and follow it out? Yet she was so utterly unlike his memory of Esther. She had seemed to him a self-reliant, strong-toned woman. Mrs. Roberts was so small and frail-looking, and so fashionably dressed, and how those boys had acted with her only yesterday. What could she possibly do? Customers came just then to change the current of his thoughts. They wanted round collars, and deep collars, and fichus, and edges, and a hundred little irritating things. Young Reed, usually so gracious and patient, had much ado to keep from showing his annoyance over the smallness of all their wishes. Meantime, Mrs. Roberts, who had taken a seat, entered apparently with absorption into the relative merits of round or pointed collars with a young lady acquaintance. She patiently measured to discover whether the turned-down corner of one was a quarter of an inch deeper than the other or not. She gave, with due deliberation, her opinion as to whether the points were more becoming to the young lady's style of beauty than the rolling fronts, and even went to the trouble of unfastening her furs to show still another style that she liked better than either, sending the disgusted Alfred to an entirely different box in search of a like pattern. As he went, his lip curled visibly. What a fool he had been to allow himself to get momentarily excited over this doll! How preposterous in him to mention his dead sister's name to her! She had already forgotten the entire matter, and was deep in the merits of callers. His first estimate of her had been the correct one. Her mind was just about as deep, he believed, as the tiny collar she was measuring. What a farce it was to talk to her about helping those poor fellows. She probably thought a few soup tickets and a chance for a good Christmas dinner at some of the public charity halls was the way to reach and reform them. 
He shouldn't help her. She mustn't expect it. Doubtless she did not. Probably she had by this time forgotten that she had suggested it. Why need she putter here about a few collars for a young lady in her own circle to wear with her morning dresses? That was just it, he told himself. It was because she was in her circle, and because the collars were to be honored by being worn by such as she, that they became important, and the boys and their desperate needs sunk into insignificance. Well, he wished they would both go, and leave him to himself, give him a chance to rally from his momentary excitement, of which he was now ashamed. At last the collars were bought, but not until the counter was strewn with different sorts, and the lady, with many bright little nothings for last words, moved off to another part of the store, and Mrs. Roberts whirled on her seat until her eyes were in full view again, and said, What were some of her plans, Mr. Reed? End of chapter 4 Recording by Tricia G.